you'll see all the junk we stash behind the curtain. There is no word I know in this world that rhymes with curtain. I'm fairly certain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another uh, Behind the Curtain interview. I am uh, extremely excited to have Jason Tondro on the show tonight. Jason is a senior developer at Paizo, and he has had uh, many roles at Paizo as well. He has quite the list of credentials of projects he's worked on. Um, so we're very excited to have someone from Paizo on tonight. Um, you also are the writer of the Dr. Comics blog, a very fascinating blog that uh, talks in detail about um, about all the, the comics and the, the superhero movies and the shows that have that have been coming out lately and, and uh, kind of breaks those those down and it gives and, and you give your insight on on those those uh, those projects as well. And then as well as that, uh, Jason is a contributor on the Banff podcast. Uh, Jason, I am so thrilled to have you here tonight. <laughs> well, it is a real pleasure. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much of, for having me. Of course, of course. Um, the first thing I like to do before we really get into things is I like to have all my listeners answer some lightning round questions. So I've prepared, I prepared three spicy lightning round questions for you this evening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my, my first question for you tonight is, uh, if you could be part of any fictional family, what fictional family would you like to be a part of? Uh, the Richards family, Fantastic Four. Okay. Because then, then I would have gotten superpowers, and like, let's yeah. face it, that's awesome, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I probably would have been – they would have gone up in the rocket. I would have been left at home. That's probably <laughs> my story. <laughs> you're, the, you're the scientist on the ground? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy in the van. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Uh, my next question is, uh, what movie do you wish you could watch again for the first time? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, the Green Knight, the recent Green Knight really? film. Really? Okay. I really love that movie. Okay. Like, and 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 I, I mean, I've only seen it the once, but I was so struck by it the first time mm -hmm. that I saw it. And I'm a medievalist by training. Like, I I'm a I've got a PhD in literature, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I taught I taught dead white guys for 15 years, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Every, everything from Basically, everything written in English from 700 to 1700 is sort of my field. So I studied the Green Knight, and and um, and so I got a lot of the references and the way that they're manipulating the original poem. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a straight retelling, but it's mm -hmm. but it's in many ways a commentary on the poem, or it's using elements of the poem in new and unusual ways. I also really love that film because it's not a fantasy film in the sort of game of thrones mm -hmm. mode like lord of the rings mm -hmm. mode it's mm -hmm. it's it, it's more like a fantasy film from the old 70s excalibur mm -hmm. mode yeah right like it's not trying to be a realistic fantasy film mm -hmm. you know when peter jackson this is an example by the way of what i was telling you before the oh. interview about how i just talk <laughs> no you're good like, you, give you're good. Lightning, you give me a lightning round question i'm going for 10 minutes all right so <laughs> peter peter jackson wanted to film Lord of the Rings like it was a documentary. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's on record as telling his crew, like make this like a documentary, not like a fantasy movie. Green Knight is not like that. Green, the Green Knight is completely allegorical. Like everything mm -hmm. you are looking at is a symbol. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to be realistic. I loved that. And um, yeah, that was a really gutsy movie mm -hmm. to make. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'll, go, I'll, I'll go on, but I love that. I'll put that one. Yeah, very. I saw it as well. I saw it with my, my older brother and... Uh, and it, it, it to me it felt like like if somebody in that time had gone back and like a bard like a bard was retelling the story and yes. adding all this extra flavor to it <laughs> and then like you said bringing in those allegories while they were yeah. while they were telling the story so yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it yeah, it is it is yeah. like, re like retelling mm -hmm. more than an actual depiction yeah. of events yeah 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 it was it was a good movie I I did enjoy it uh, my last question for you is uh, it's kind of a uh, would you rather? And uh, so you're stranded on a desert island. Got it. Are you alone or are you there with your worst enemy? 
Oh God, definitely alone. <laughs> alone? <laughs> yeah, because okay. I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for violence. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought that one was a really interesting question. I, uh, yeah. cause like, yeah. Do you, do you, do you go and deal with the, uh, you yeah. know, the insanity of isolation or do you go with someone you hate and have to work that out while you're there? You know, so. like I'm a firm believer in like live and let live. Yeah. Like my worst enemies, I basically just never want to talk to them again. Yep. Right. And so being trapped on an island is like the worst yeah. possible outcome. <laughs> that is so great. Well, thank you so much for uh, sure. humoring me with, with, my, with my silly lightning round questions. Yeah. But uh, we'll get into the, the meat and potatoes of the interview. Let uh, the listeners get to know you and, uh, and what you're all about. Um, sure. The first uh, topic I wanted to ask you, and I, I usually ask all my guests this because uh, – uh, it, you know the the show is it's all about tabletop gaming and yeah. and uh, so I wanted to ask you what uh, your first experience was playing tabletop RPGs or or like a one of your favorite experiences just kind of what got you hooked on it yeah. and and where you got your love of of tabletop RPGs from. Well, I'm I'm a I'm an old guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I'll, I'll be I'm 53, okay. and so my my original. So I, I played the the white box D and D, okay, right, mm -hmm. old old school like El Eldritch Wizardry, Blackmore, mm -hmm. Greyhawk books, and um, that wasn't the first copy I owned. The first D and D set that I owned was the basic set, but it was the version before the red box that a lot of people think of. I think that some some people call it the blue box, but it's a mm -hmm. it's a, and I was in sixth grade. Okay. And, uh, and I remember hearing that the chess club at the junior high school was sponsoring something called Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought it was like a chess variant. Okay. <laughs> like, like maybe the castles are, are the dungeons and the, the, the horses are the knight or the dra the dragons or mm -hmm. something. I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I, I would hang out at the, the junior high school anyway, cause I was going to be going there next year mm -hmm. and, and, um, and it was very close to my home. So I went to the, I went to the D and D club and that's when we rolled up my first character who was a monk. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and we, I was immediately hooked, mm -hmm. right? Like it was a, it was an imaginative kind of fantasy world. And I'll, I, I think what intrigued me first is that I didn't know the rules. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have my own book. And so there were other older kids who were acting as DM and I wanted to be that guy. Okay. Like I wanted to be the person that knew the rules yeah. and, and kind of made the adventure. And, um, and so I got a whole, it was, that was very soon after that. Mm -hmm. I not yet come out, but very soon the very first advanced D and D player's handbook came out. Okay, right, the famous one with like the statue uh, on the cover and the thieves like stealing the eye, the uh, the jewels out of the eyes. And I I got my parents to buy me that, and then I got I, and I already had the basic set, but I didn't understand that D and D and A D and D were different games. Mm -hmm. Like I thought they they're Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. they should, they're the same game, right? Yeah, but they're not. They're yeah, not. And they're so not. I tried to. I tried to figure out how to make those two games work together. And we ended up kind of coming up with like our own sort of homebrewed rule system cool. to make everything work. My stepbrother and I made a bunch of characters and we would alternate. So like I would DM and he would play all 10 characters and then he would DM and I would play all 10 characters. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I, I pretty much stayed. Uh, I've pretty much been a, a gamer ever since, right? Mm -hmm. It hasn't always been D and D. Lots of other games, and and I had a long face where I didn't play D and D at all. Okay. Um, but that that was really like you know you have friends and it's junior high and mm -hmm. everybody's playing, everybody's playing D and D together, and and that was kind of that was kind of my hook. Cool. I love asking people that because. Um... Not every, like you can't remember every session you've ever done, but I think the yeah. session that people remember the most and the best is their first session, 
and uh, and and like nobody nobody's able to see you, but see the people I interview. But every time I ask that question, everybody just kind of lights up as, <laughs> as they're remembering what what their first you know their first yeah. or their favorite session was like. So that's always a, a fun one for me. Um, I uh, I wanted to ask you about your career as well. Yeah. I uh, you you told me that you that you started that you used to work as a professor and then That's you, right. and then you made the transition into working for Paizo and writing yeah. for Paizo. I wanted to ask you, um, what, uh, what made you want to make that transition? Well, so I had been freelancing in the okay. gaming industry, um, pretty much since the open gaming license. Right. So when, when wizards of the coast created the OGL back in what, like 2000, 2000, Yes, I think it was 2000. Yeah. I had started to to write and create uh, RPG books, some of which I published on my own. But I quickly figured out that I hated publishing. I okay. just wanted to write cool games and I wanted to let other people do the publishing part. Um, and so I had been I had been writing games for Mike Lafferty and James Dossie and Chuck Rice and and others. Um, but it would, it had always been a side gig, mm-hmm. right? Well, I was teaching, um, at, a the smallest state college in the state of Georgia. Okay. And, and it, it was a beautiful area. It's right on the coast, but I was miserable. Okay. Like I, I, I'm, I'm a California liberal, right? Like, okay. and I'm, and I'm living in the deep South. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And, and there's a lot of racism and it, and, and quite frankly, too many guns. And, <laughs> and, and I, and I apologize to any pe- people that are listening, if I'm offending your politics, like I, no. I, 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 but, but it was a bad fit for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was really lonely and I was really isolated and, and uh, I, I was not in a good mental state. Well, a dear friend of mine who lives here in Seattle, she had also she was also an academic for a long time, but she ended up working for Amazon, and she she's a buyer. She she decides all of the comics, games, science fiction, fantasy books that Amazon puts in their brick and mortar physical stores. Oh, right? okay. Like you can go into an Amazon store and there's like a science fiction section, mm-hmm. and she decides what books they stock. Well, she got to use all of her nerd cred mm-hmm. in that job, <laughs> but she also got to use all of her 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 PhD in that job. And she was like, Jason, you just need to get out. Mm-hmm. Like, you, just, you just need to get out. Get out of there. And, and so rather, and, and the academic job market was terrible then. And mm-hmm. it, that was pre-COVID, right? Like here after yeah. COVID, it was worse. The, I, and I had tried to get new positions elsewhere, but, you know, it's, it's, there's no, there's no, the, the, the academic job market is way oversaturated, mm-hmm. especially in English when I was done. Okay. So, so um, she sent me a job posting for Paizo. They were hiring two jobs. They were hiring an editor position. Okay. And they were hiring a developer for the organized play section. Well, I had never played organized play in my life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't apply for that. They hired Michael Sayer for that, who's now a designer. He's now on the design team. Okay. <laughs> but I But I did apply for the editing job. And of course, all I do all day is edit student papers, right? Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I grade papers yep. for fifteen years. Um, but but and more than that, I also had a list of forty game credits by that point, right? Okay. That I had been either a writer on, or I had I had done development work, or or um, art direction, mm-hmm. or editing, or publishing. Like I'd kind of done a little bit of everything. Okay, and that was from your your time as a freelancer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and and and. And so, um, so I applied for the job mm-hmm. and, um, and I got a test. Paizo gives tests to oh. new applicants, okay. which are then graded anonymously, mm-hmm. right? So that there's no favoritism. And so that we, we don't go, we aren't biased on topics of race and gender and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Right. So, so I did the test and then. Uh, I didn't get the job. Oh wow! <laughs> what, what happened? Well, I got I got after the test. I got interviewed. Mm-hmm. I did well on the test. We got interviewed, but they offered the job to a different candidate mm-hmm. 
but that candidate could not move to Seattle. Oh, okay. Because the job, Paizo has always been um, Seattle-based. Mm-hmm. And they, this is pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And so they expected everybody to move to Seattle. Well, because that other candidate could not do that immediately, mm-hmm. and they needed them immediately, right? Because this is, this is right when Pathfinder's second edition was about to be announced. Okay. So the entire editorial team is heads down mm-hmm. editing Pathfinder second edition playtest to get it out in time for the playtest. Mm-hmm. And and so um, I was the second name on the list. Okay. Well, so I t- and I'm like, sure, I'll take, I'll move. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, two weeks later, you're like, I, I my- hate it here anyway. Let me move. Yeah, exactly. I want to move. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so two, two weeks later, I'm on the road across the country, and. Um, I was an editor for a year and a half. I learned a lot from Judy Bauer, who was my mm-hmm. managing editor, from uh, uh, Leo, who's now the current managing editor, from Liz Liddell, who went on to be a, a designer on the Pathfinder team, um, and from Chris, um, and so many other people. So mm-hmm. I, I was I was the new guy. I was okay. twice everyone's age, yeah. but incredibly inexperienced <laughs> and everybody was really patient with me um starting a new career from mm-hmm. scratch and um and i was an editor for a year and a half but i always knew that i wanted to move to a different team that would have more creative input into the games Be- being an editor is an incredibly important job and it's mm-hmm. a lot more than just spelling and grammar mm-hmm. Uh, especially at Paizo, but uh, but it wasn't the perfect job for me. Um, and to to my manager's credit, they helped me get the experience that I needed, so that when a couple of guys left the Starfinder team, I could apply for that gig. And okay. I I had told Amanda Heyman, who was our manager at the time, she was the Starfinder uh, development manager. She's now she now works at Wizards of the Coast as a senior developer on D and D. Okay. Well, Amanda, I told her like, okay, Amanda, as soon as somebody quits your team, you're going to see my resume like in the morning, okay. right? <laughs> and uh, she was like, okay. Well, uh, Owen Stevens and Chris Sims both left the Starfinder team at about the same time, and so that allowed me to write my cover letter. And I said, Amanda, I warned you, this day would come. <laughs> yeah. <right?" laughs> Did you put that on the cover letter? Oh yeah, that was, that was the first. That was the first line letter. of your cover letter. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, um, but once again, we had a development test. Mm-hmm. I was not the only candidate. We had a lot of people, very qualified, super skilled people. Um, we did a development test that was graded anonymously, and I was offered the position. So I transferred, and I was on Starfinder team exclusively for about a year and a half. And I still am. I'm still on the Starfinder team. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I'm, but about a month ago, um, I was promoted to senior developer and now Mm -hmm. I work for both games. So now I make adventure paths for Starfinder, but also for Pathfinder, Mm -hmm. uh, second edition. Um, I'm I'm pitching my first Pathfinder adventure path in about a a month. How Uh, exciting. (laughs) That's yeah, it is. Exciting. It is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and are you, and so, and you're going to be, uh, you're going to be the developer on the on the Pathfinder adventure path that you're pitching. That's right. Okay. That's right. Oh, yeah, we, okay. we we want we want the developers at Pies. Not everybody knows, you know, kind of what these jobs are, mm-hmm. right? Or like, yeah, what does a developer do? But a developer is kind of the the um the organizing principle and the main push behind mm-hmm. a on AP, an adventure path. We, we want, you're, you're going to, uh, the developer hire, he, they write an outline for mm-hmm. the path that it outlines every book and all the adventures in it. They hire all of the writers, the freelance writers to write it. The developer does not write the adventure path. They hire freelancers to do that. And then when the freelancer turns in the manuscript, the developer uh, works that manuscript over to make it as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, in other other um, companies might call this a developmental editor. Okay, it's kind of a you know it, it's like an editor, but it's like a super editor, right? Where you're like you're 
Um, you're checking all the rules stuff. You're checking for consistency across volumes. So, for example, if if we introduce a non-player character in volume one, mm -hmm. I got to make sure that that same non-player character talks the same. Yeah. The same kind of language mm -hmm. and dialect in volume six that they use in volume one, right? Mm -hmm. And the individual freelance authors, they they can't do that. Yeah. Because they only see their own volume. Like, that falls to the developer. Um, So... And, and and also there's a lot of connections and ties between volumes of an adventure path, right? Mm -hmm. Like plot elements and yes. stuff. Yes, and they, so they, anyway. they carry over from one book to the next. Yeah, and, yeah. I think yeah. the good ones do. Yeah, right? the, the good, good yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so so we always want the developer to be invested in the adventure. And mm -hmm. the best way to do that is for them to pitch their own ideas and then a team will get together, like maybe, like maybe I'll have if I'm on Pathfinder, I'll have Ron Lundeen, who's my my manager, mm -hmm. and maybe Adam, who's a uh, another manager, and maybe Eric uh, uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Eric Mona, who's Eric the Mona. publisher, mm -hmm. and and the three and the four of us will all kind of work together, and I'll pitch a few ideas, and they'll pick one. And I'll I'll come up with a one page kind of summary, and they'll give notes, and then I'll write a full outline, right? Mm -hmm. Which could be anywhere from twenty to thirty pages, depending on the length of the AP. And then once the outline is approved, then I hire writers and I give assignments, mm -hmm. and then I wait months for the manuscripts to come in, and then I work the manuscripts over, and then they go to editing, and then they go to layout, and then they go to me again, and then they go back to editing, and then they go to China to get published. Okay. Get I wanted to ask you, so in that period yeah. where you, you pitch the outline, and then you send it to the, the authors, and you said right. you wait you wait for months, what are you doing in that period? Yeah, okay, well, that's a very good project management question, because okay. that's exactly what my project manager asked me. <laughs> and the answer is, okay, so we have this, if you remember when I said that there's like, okay, like I get the manuscript and then I send it to edit and edit sends it to layout and mm -hmm. layout sends it back to me. I'm doing that second pass on the previous adventure. Path. Okay. Right. Yep. So when I'm waiting for, for the manuscripts to come in, I'm doing what we call copy fit on the previous volumes. Okay. And what that means is copy fit is when art is laying out the book mm -hmm. and they've, they've, they've created sample pages and they've laid all the text out and they put all the art in. And then it comes back to us as developers to make it fit. Cause it's probably not going to be exactly right. Right. Yeah. It's going to be like too long or it's going to be too short. And we, Paizo's graphic design is very important to mm -hmm. our brand. Like yeah. people buy these Paizo books for the look and the art and they, they want to have a, there's a kind of experience of physically reading the book mm -hmm. that's part of pleasure of owning it right yes big time and, that, so, and that that's why it's that's why it's so frustrating that you when you can't get some of these older books and you're yeah. forced to buy the pdf so i i completely right. understand that's what right. you're saying yeah and the pdfs are very very useful mm -hmm. like i love being able to search a pdf yeah. for example yeah but i but i i love flipping pages yep. on an old <laughs> book anyway so um so we have to make sure that all of the line, all the text always go to the bottom of the page. You know, the stat blocks all look good and we look for art errors or, and, and we, this is also a chance for us to kind of proofread everything one more time. And sometimes there's uh, more important changes that we didn't have time to do when we looked at it the first time. So we kicked it down the road to say, well, we'll fix it in copy fit. Well, guess what? Now it's copy fit. So okay. we have to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. Um, we always have multiple projects going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. And and so whenever whenever I'm waiting on one, I have two or three other things I can be doing instead. Okay. Yeah. And uh and I and uh listening to to your developer diaries, you also yep. you also talked about how you you write as well. And so are you writing in in that downtime as well? Well, no. No. Because because well, I'm writing at home. Mhm. Mm Right. When I say home, I'm talking in COVID. So we're talking yeah. about a commute, my chair, the chair in the living room to the chair in the bedroom, yeah, right? The chair in the office. But all of my writing for Paizo is freelance writing. Okay. Right? It's not officially on the clock. Okay. 
I have basically I work two jobs. I have a day job where I develop for Paizo, mm -hmm. and then I have a night job where I'm a freelance writer, okay. mostly for Paizo. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I write like the last the last few things that I've written, I just finished actually I'm on the last week. I have a deadline. What day is today? Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. I have a, I have a deadline Monday <laughs> to turn in um the the second volume in the Blood Lords AP, which was just announced. Okay. Well, that was announced at Gen Con? It was announced at Gen okay. Con, that's right. So the Blood Lords AP is uh is set in the undead nation of Geb. Okay. Down in the in the southern the south the south of the map and mm -hmm. and the this is and, and um Ron Lundeen is the lead developer on it and um he asked me to write the second volume which I'm I, I he actually he asked like what volume do you want to write you can't write the first one because mm -hmm. I already assigned volume one but you can write <laughs> any other volume that you want and I said give me the second one and I said that because um levels four to eight. Like that kind of level range is, in my opinion, the golden age for role playing games, right? Like mm -hmm. you're a little bit, you're you're powerful enough to get fireball, mm -hmm. but but you're not so powerful that you are effectively immune to danger. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. And and so I I love that kind of so I asked to write the second one and it's due Monday, but I've been writing that whole thing basically by night and by weekends, mm -hmm. right? That's like not my day job, and I can't be on the piezo clock when I'm freelance. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's very. Uh, yeah. I. I like you said. Uh, most people don't know how how the industry works and how these right. these products come to fruition. So it's nice to yeah, get an inside look. I, I don't want to try and hype my video series, but that's exactly why mm -hmm. I recorded. Right. Like. So um, I've got. We've got. We've done about six episodes, I think, so yeah. far of yeah, the developer six. diary. Mm -hmm. I have a couple more to go. And it's just tracking the whole process of my fly for your die adventure path, like from mm -hmm. the original ideas and how we pitched it and then outlining and hiring authors. And, and then each volume kind of some of the unique challenges and what worked and what didn't mm -hmm. and kind of, I started it so I could kind of learn so I could have a time to reflect back on what I had done and mm -hmm. kind of ask myself, what did I learn from this? Yeah. You know, like, what, and, and we don't often have time to do that. We live in a pretty fast-paced world, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah. the world moves pretty fast. Yep. You got to be careful. You could you could miss it. Well, yeah. and you've got deadlines. You too, exactly you know, on Monday. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. So I, I wanted to put some time on my schedule where I had to sit back and think how how well did that work? Mm -hmm. How could I have done it better? And that's kind of what, what those whole development diaries have been. About. And I have to say, I've I've been listening to them the past couple of days. I listened to yeah. all six at work, and uh, and and I I have to say they are incredible. I listened to the I listened to the first one because usually when I'm doing research for my guests, I'll go, okay, I need to listen to like one thing, or I need yeah. to read a, like a, like a paragraph or something that they've that they've written so that I I kind of know who this person is. Uh, but yeah, I started yeah. listening, and I was just I was completely hooked. And I couldn't oh, wow. stop. And then I actually messaged my friend who who I play Starfinder with, and we were yeah. on the fence about what we wanted to play. And the oh, yeah. first episode, after I was done with it, I shot him a message. I said, "Okay, I know what we're playing. We're gonna play Fly Free or Die." <laughs> so I'm so glad. Yeah, it was it, and it was incredible. And I loved it. So somebody made a comment on the first episode, and they they yeah. said it was a like a master class. In, uh, in in game development and and I I viewed it as kind of your love letter to the adventure that you'd put so much time into. You know, which... I think you're you're very perceptive. I agree. I agree with. You. I think that's I think that's a more accurate way to do it because I really did put my heart and soul into mm -hmm. that that darn thing. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and you can tell you can tell the way <laughs> that you talk about it too. Yeah. And it it just it comes across that way. When you when you talk about the game and you you express your love for the project that you worked on, so yeah, yeah, and I and now see now the beauty of it now is now I get to do the whole thing again for Pathfinder. Okay. Like the, be the beauty of Star the beauty of Fly for Your Die was is it was my first adventure for Starfinder. Okay. Right, I had a job like two weeks when Rob McCreary came to me and said, "Okay, well it's your time for an adventure path, so <laughs> we have a meeting tomorrow." Right, like come come in with with ideas. Mm -hmm. And it was it was terrifying, but at the same kind, same time, super exciting to mm -hmm. be able to make my own adventure path. 
And I did go in with three ideas, but I knew that any one of them would be mine. And I was super hyped about doing mm -hmm. it. But I love Rob. He, 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 he listened to all of the pitches. And then he said, which one do you really want to do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he can't and, tell, uh, to, yeah. yeah. He could tell. And to his credit, like when I said oh, I really want to do this one, mm -hmm. it wasn't called Fly for Your Die at that time. When I, I I want to do this one, he he looked at me and he said, I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so now I, I have kind of an idea. I have a a core idea for the Pathfinder Adventure Path mm -hmm. I want to run. And um I can't talk about it yet. That, no, it that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I might get told no yeah. in which case it'll be <laughs> drawing board and 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 if it was mm -hmm. if my pitch was recorded on this podcast it'd be so humiliating for me afterwards <laughs> like, oh, no. like the adventure path that i got turned down on but anyway i um, real quick can i ask you what yeah. is it like uh switching back and forth because because you said you work on both of them that's right do you how often do you switch back and forth from starfinder to pathfinder well so the, as i mentioned i've only got this promotion a short time ago mm -hmm. right okay so I, I haven't been moving back and forth yet. Okay. That's part of why it's a senior development job and not a regular developer job mm -hmm. because the two rule sets are not the same, mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of have to you kind of have to juggle both. And it's not just the rules. There's so many tiny technical differences between the games. Mm -hmm. Um I'm going to give just one really super simple, obvious example. Okay, so in, I have to get this right. <laughs> in Starfinder, the skill is called Intimidation. Okay. But in Pathfinder 2, it's called Intimidate. Oh, yep. Right? Yep. And if I get it wrong, then the editors are going to have to catch it, right? Yeah. Well, multiply that by 700 pages for oh, the my. Pathfinder 2 core rulebook, yeah. right? Yeah. And and there's just like there's tiny little differences on every single page, mm -hmm. and you have to. It, it's not just the rules; it's how these how we the language of the game, like mm -hmm. the whole way that we talk about it, and then formatting. Like in 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 Pathfinder, um, when you take an action, the name of that action is capitalized. So if you've got a dragon and it's got a breath weapon action, well then every time you say the dragon uses its breath weapon, you capitalize B and you capitalize W. Well, you don't do any of that in Starfinder. Okay. And that that sounds like the tiniest thing, but this is the developer's job is yeah. to get all this stuff smooth because if I mess it up, then I'm just making work for the editors. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course there's all the rules stuff, right? Yeah. Like the mm -hmm. fact that Pathfinder has a three action economy and Starfinder has got move actions, standard actions, reactions, uh, uh, and swift actions, mm -hmm. but not free actions, yeah. which Pathfinder 1 had. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, opportunity attacks, right? Yep. Like, like how, how that's different, right? Mm -hmm. Like Starfinder's got opportunity attacks for three specific things. Pathfinder 2 only has opportunity attacks if the character has it as a special power, right? Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, so um, my hope is, and I haven't had to do a lot of this yet, but that I will be able to kind of shift gears for a, for a, a, like a month or so. Like right now, I am developing Starfinder Adventure Path. Get this number right, forty six. Okay, which is Drift Crashers, the first volume of Drift Crashers. It's written by Jessica Redekop. Uh, this is we announced this AP at at Gen Con. Okay. Uh, it's part of our big line-wide drift crisis event, which will take place next year, mm -hmm. which will have a hardback and uh, APs and one-shots and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, so Jessica wrote it. It's called um, The Perfect Storm, It and, and I'm developing that right now. Well, but then when I finish that, I think I'll switch over to Pathfinder mode and write the outline for my next AP. Okay. And then I'll switch back and develop the next Starfinder adventure. Right? Okay. So we'll see. But yeah. but your question is really good because that's exactly what I have two managers. I have a Starfinder manager, Jason mm -hmm. Keeley, and I have a Pathfinder manager, Ron Lundeen. And they got together and decided my schedule. 
I, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I'm 50, I'm supposed to be 50, 50 on each team. So mm -hmm. they got together. Okay. Well, how are we going to divide up the, the, the Tondro time? Mm -hmm. Right. And then they came to me and said, this is what we think we want to do. Are you okay with it? And I'm like, sure. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I love, I love a uh, Tondro time. I think that's going to be the name of the episode. Tondro <laughs> Very time. Good. Um, <laughs> The, the funny thing is, is that I was going to say Jason time, but I can't say that because there's three Jasons yeah. in the company. Yeah. So uh, in, in the office, I'm Jake. In the okay. office, I go by Jake. Because that's just how to distinguish me from, from the other Jasons, right? <laughs> yeah. This is especially hard in the office because Keely and I literally sat four feet apart. So we were both in this in the same cubicle at the at the office, and yeah. Rob Rob would walk in the cubicle and say Jason, and I would we would both turn around and say what? Yeah, uh, that's that's got to stop. Yeah. So Jake is my old family nickname. All my my parents, my my siblings, all call me Jake. So I'm like, okay, let's let's do that. But yeah, well, it sounds very cool. It sounds like a well, and then and then I I, I do have to say um, all the work. That goes into it. I think. I think if, if you're listening to this, go give your uh, go give your developers and the people that work at these companies a little bit of love because yeah. it it sounds it sounds like a lot of work to uh, <laughs> to put these together. So, so it, it, it's incredibly in. Um, it's wonderful. It's it's very. We're very lucky. Mm -hmm. We're very lucky to be able to make these games that so many people love and enjoy. It's also an opportunity to. I think do some real social good. Mm -hmm. um, Pathfinder and Starfinder, especially in the last couple of years, have become really active in demonstrating progressive values in our games. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like the next Pathfinder hardback has got like a trans woman on the cover, right? She's okay. a paladin. And and our 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 new... Um, and we, we did, we did the Magamba, the uh, Mwangi Expanse book, mm -hmm. which is our fantasy Africa. And we got, we, we did the strength of thousands, which is a, a fantasy magic school set in the uh, expanse. And we got black authors to come on and write those adventures. Um, we did, a we just announced a new iconic character class for Pathfinder, the, um, two new ones, the Thaumaturge and the Psychic. And the Thaumaturge is this fantastic non-binary character named Milo, I think. Uh, and uh, and so it it's it's one. And Starfinder has a whole similar thing where mm -hmm. we can we can create a hundred different kinds of playable alien species that really play with things like gender and and race and and this allows players to that have traditionally been un, under or unrepresented mm -hmm. in to see themselves in games. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly validating, right? Yeah. We got Sarah Compton to come on. Uh, she's done a bunch of work with Artel Sorian and, and others. And, and she came on and helped us do uh, disability tools for Starfinder. Mm -hmm. So like hover chairs for, for disa uh, disabled characters and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're, maybe they're high tech, uh, high tech hover chairs, or maybe they're like magic floating chairs. Yeah. That, that, and we've got we've got a disabled iconic coming out um, who uses one of these floating chairs. Okay. And and this is just like these people play our games, right? Mm -hmm. And they play, they play role playing games, but for decades mm -hmm. they haven't been able to really see themselves in the games, or they haven't been portrayed in a very sophisticated or sensitive way. Mm -hmm. Their disability has always been presented as a flaw, mm -hmm. right? As like a handicap that they have to overcome. Yeah. And well, that's not accurate. That's not that's not accurate to the lived experience of our players. Mm -hmm. And it's so, not it's not everything that that person is either. That's right. You're so that's much exactly more. Right. You're so much more than that. As that's well. right. That's exactly so, right. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's been very exciting for us to be able to do that. And. And in a in a world like we're in, where it seems like everything is on fire, yeah, right? like, <laughs> like and sometimes it, literally too. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it's really it's a it's a source of inspiration mm -hmm. and solace for us to be able to do these good to participate mm -hmm. in this this revolution in gaming and to be 
leading the way on that in mm-hmm. the trench. And I, I think that is another reason so many people, um, like they, you know, they, a lot of people view Paizo as as that spearhead, like you said, yeah. for those those social issues and 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 creating a change in the dialogue. That's um, right. And, and 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 I think that's why it it appeals to so many people. But that 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 representation is is key too. And the the credit for this goes to people on the editorial team mm-hmm. and developers like Louis Loza and Eleanor Farron. You know, Eleanor really led the Magam uh, the Mongi Expanse book, mm-hmm. and, and Ron developed the Strength of Thousands. Um, our editorial team is fantastic. Avi Cool came up with that iconic that that non-binary iconic thaumaturge mm-hmm. that I. Um, uh, James Case did our Asian adventure AP the. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, wrote a volume for that, and and so we've had wonderful leadership on mm-hmm. this. You know, I'm I'm like a middle aged white dude, right? Like I <laughs> yeah. I am learning from other people, yeah, and it's incredibly exciting learning experience. And I'm deeply in debt to my fellow Paizo developers and editors uh, and art team who and designers who have mm-hmm. helped make that. And that's so incredible. I uh, what you said too about about being able to see yourself in the game. Yeah, it's uh, that's right. it's 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 it, it just brought a thought to mind where, where a lot of people, especially my, like including myself, they we use sure. these books as a as a sort of escapism, yeah. to to yeah. pull ourselves out and and play somebody completely different from ourselves and and right. but at the same time, no matter what character you're playing, there's always going to be a piece of you in that character. Yeah. It, it's yeah. always going to be some some representation of yourself on That's some right. level. And so being able to see yourself or see people like you in the game, it, it adds, it adds a lot to it. I think. Can I get all literature professor for a minute? Yeah. Okay. So work with me here. But okay. back, back in, back in, in the 1600s, late 1500s in the Shakespeare era, mm-hmm. there was this poet named Spencer, Edmund Spencer. And he wrote a book called the fairy queen. It's a, it's a massive like 700 page poem. And it's, it's super intimidating. A lot of people don't read it anymore, but it's beautiful. But anyway, he, he, he borrowed a lot of characters. He borrowed a lot of people that he knew, and he made them characters mm-hmm. in the book. But he does something like, like what you're describing. He would have like three different characters that are all inspired by Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. right? But they're, So they're all Queen Elizabeth, but they're all really, really different. Yeah. Right? So like one of them is the queen of the – is the fairy queen title and she's she's like this super um glorious immaculate ruler right who's wise and perfect and beautiful but also kind of unapproachable Mm -hmm. right and then another version is kind of this like uh diana artemis character huntress who's like running through the woods wearing nothing but a toga and using a bow and like hunting animals right and and that's also a version of queen elizabeth that spencer knew and then there's like this kind of princess character that all of the young men of the fairy queen love with and all kind of courting and chasing. And that's also Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a lot of these things that we do in gaming, I think have a lot older roots than we often know. Mm -hmm. If, if, if Spencer was alive today, he'd be a fantastic DM. He would love love role-playing, right? And we would get it. Like Mm -hmm. he would understand it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So I, I I totally agree with you. I think that's that I, yeah. I see your point. No, I I think it's I think it's a great I think it's a great thing to think about. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I think I think you say it you you say it beautifully as well. Um, I uh wanted to ask you as uh as a contributor on the the Bamp podcast, sure. and that is that is that primarily on YouTube. It, it's on YouTube, but it's also on podcast, okay. Podbean, or, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever. Okay. Um, it's it's Mike Mike Lafferty who runs Fading Goat Games. Mm-hmm. It started with his his work, and I became kind of a guest host. I would show up there, and we would do um, uh, periodic panels about all kinds of comics related stuff. I taught comics a, as an academic, so I was able. And my my PhD is kind of in superhero comics. It's on medieval and renaissance literature and also superhero comics mm-hmm. uh most fun dissertation ever right you get i get to write 200 pages on superhero comics and they give me a phd for it <laughs> but incredible um, yeah it was super fun but um 
Um, but then um, once I got hired at Paizo full time, that gave me kind of a unique perspective. And so I started to record my own shows mm-hmm. on on Mike's network on, on Banff to talk about um, Starfinder and, and the development process. Mm-hmm. And then while I was there, then I started to record shows about other things that I nerd out about with, right? Mm-hmm. So my dear friend, Jim, uh, who's also written for Paizo and uh, freelance for Paizo, Jim Seals, and and also written for uh, Feigning Goat. Um, and then another dear friend of ours, Aid Smith, who's an artist in England and illustrated um, uh, for Mike and also written for Star Trek Adventures and various other wow. freelance, freelance mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah. So the three of us get together and we all do Star Trek uh, episode recaps and, and analysis. So yeah, we're the, we call ourselves Space Force, and we come on every time that uh, there's a new Star Trek episode, whether it's like Discovery or P- the new Picard show. Mm-hmm. We, we start up a season of Space Force and do do Star Trek analysis. And I'm I'm not as knowledgeable on the immense Star Trek canon mm-hmm. as Jim and Aid are. So my job there is kind of your job on this show. I'm like I'm there to like ask questions yeah. and mm-hmm. and let Jim and Aid, you know, argue over um whether that's a phaser two or a phaser <laughs> one, right? Like yeah. so, uh, but it's it's good stuff and I have a lot of fun. And that that does sound like a lot of fun. I I, uh, I bet you have a lot of uh Star Trek fans that watch it. Yeah. You know, uh I I have really come to appreciate Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've always liked it and I've always watched it. And Star Trek II is one of my favorite films ever, right? Wrath of Khan is just brilliant. Fantastic yeah. movie. My it's favorite. Fantastic. My favorite Star Trek movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people's favorites. It's mm-hmm. either that or it's with the whales, right? It's Star oh, Trek yep, Four. Yep, and that's my mom's favorite. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek Four is great because it's it's it appeals to a lot of people who aren't Star Trek fans, mm-hmm. right? They get it. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek Two is interesting because Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan appeals to a lot of hardcore Star Trek fans, even though in many ways it's very un-Star Trekky, mm-hmm. right? Like if you think about the episodes of the show, if you think about the Star Trek television show. Well, that's not like Wrath of Khan at all, mm-hmm. right? Wrath of Khan is this huge, like star, like starship, uh, sort of um, uh, silent running in space movie, right? Where you've got like you know two starships with their captains kind of going at it over two hours. It's Horatio Hornblower in space, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 that's not what the Star Trek television show is like at all. Mm-hmm. But but it sure hit at a good time, mm-hmm. right? In a lot. It's really anyway um so i i have really come to appreciate star trek as a as a genre and as a cultural force mm-hmm. and i i i think that it it has something to say mm-hmm. like a lot of science fiction and i'm talking about star wars here yeah. and i love star wars do not get me wrong like i watch mandalorian every single week right like yeah. i was i was there Every episode, but um, but I don't know if but Star Trek has something to say mm-hmm. about people and about our future mm-hmm. as a culture and as a society, and that that we can be better than mm-hmm. we are. Um, it envisions a universe, a future without war, mm-hmm. without money without famine or disease, uh, a future where we're scientist explorers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not not trapped in, in an endless cycle of uh, repeating wars with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not called star peace, right? Yeah. It's called <laughs> and I, and, and I, I love the action sequences and the, and, and the heroes and the villains of Star Wars. Like Darth Vader is forever like the best villain in mm-hmm. cinema history. Yeah. Uh, closely rivaled by the the xenomorph in Alien. But oh yes, uh, yes. <laughs> but but uh but I don't but but I I I re- I respect Star Trek mm-hmm. in a way that's different than my enjoyment and love of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot and this this show has really helped me figure that out. Like we watched every single Star Trek film and there's been 12 of them. Mhm. And we we watched every single one of them, and we did post show and and we did analysis of each one. 
and uh, Chris McLaughlin joined us for for those. And and I I really came to see the beauty and also the tragic flaws of each one of those. Mm-hmm. And I came to love Star Trek in a really weird way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's incredible. Um, uh, not only do you get to talk about something that you love, but like you said, you yeah. you uh, you you've learned more about it, and, have, yeah. and and then I'm sure it's doing the same thing for the people that that listen to your to that that to that show. So I hope so. Yeah. I, it's funny. Um, a lot of the a lot of the fans of Space Force uh, have been Pathfinder Starfinder fans mm-hmm. that have migrated over. They hear me, or the other way around. Like we were doing the Space Force show, and then I started to record Starfinder shows. Like, wait a minute, you mean that guy on Space Force is a developer for Paizo? So <laughs> yeah, so that so it's it's been fun. Yeah, and we'll, we'll keep doing it. It you know, a lot of these shows we do for ourselves. You mm-hmm. know, like it's a way for us to connect with my friends, mm-hmm. and we get together, and and it's a wonderful sort of bonding, healing experience, and and it, we'll keep doing. Yeah, it. well, and I think I think in a in a time like right now, I think it's important to have things like that right. where we're, yeah. you know, forced to isolate and things like that. It's important right. to to have those moments where you're able to come together. So, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, that's incredible. I I think I'm in, so I I listen to your developer diaries. So I'm gonna be the person that goes the other way. And, uh, <laughs> okay. I'll have to I'll have to watch the movies again. And then listen oh, to yeah. your. I'm the kind of person that can't just listen to it and listen to someone else's take on it. I have to watch it and then go listen to it. Oh, good. So, That's good. Yeah. 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 Well, you'll hear, you'll hear Jim stirring defense of Star Trek Five. Oh, right? okay. The, which most people pan as yeah. as the worst of the of the original cast Star Trek films. Yeah. But Jim loves it unapologetically. Loves it because he feels that. <laughs> It most captures what the original shows actually did. Mm-hmm. It's in many ways the most Star Trekky mm-hmm. uh, of all of the Star Trek movies, and it's terribly flawed. But it, in many ways, I think I'm glad to see that Star Trek has gone back to television episodes rather than films. Mm-hmm. I think I think television is Star Trek's natural home. Yeah. And it, it, it can do that kind of weekly episodic storytelling mm-hmm. or even kind of picaresque storytelling where every episode is kind of one and done, mm-hmm. right? You just like go to a new planet, you, you meet a culture, you you learn something or you teach something, and then it's like, okay, warp factor three to the next planet, right? Mm-hmm. And and that that that's really good at television format. You yeah. try to make a movie out of that and it just doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't. I had a college professor that once told me the reason they used to make TV shows like that was because there was no DVR, there was no streaming service. <laughs> and so they made, they made their shows episodic and, right. and each episode was a contained story. And then right. I'm, I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. And oh, he, yeah. and he yeah. told me when we when I was watching that and he said when when season 3 of Battlestar Galactica was coming out they 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 changed the format of TV and it was one of the first shows to go from an episodic format to a serialized format yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I, but I, I I totally agree with you with with Star Trek in that because because it, I may, and it might work so well because it's going back to its roots because that's where it originated it originated in that right. that that's time right. period of of episodic uh, TV shows. Yeah, it, it's it's your 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 college professor is right. Like back back before streaming, before mm-hmm. every episode of every show was available, you had to remember that any episode of your television show was somebody's first episode of your television mm-hmm. show. Right? Yeah, they would just be flipping channels or whatever, and they would see Star Trek on. They're like, okay, well, let's watch Star Trek, and you don't know who anybody is, right? Mm-hmm. And so have to introduce new audience members to the to the cast every single time yeah and and now nobody does that right mm-hmm. like if i want to if i'm surfing netflix mm-hmm. i start with season one episode one exactly right? yeah and so yeah the whole way that we watch television is different now and mm-hmm. so of course that the, the way we write television is different mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's it's interesting how that happened and I I remember it as a as a kid growing up they it was still it was kind of that 
like in between. There were shows that yep. did it, and then and then uh, and then I remember it being a huge deal when there was like like a like a three episode span where each episode oh, yeah. was connected, yeah. and then they told a bigger story in three hours, and and That's then right. that got you know that got advertised to no end because right. you didn't want to miss it. Because you can right. you can go back and watch it later. So That's you, right. You can go back and watch. You, you came back to watch it every week. I'm not sure, but I think the pioneer in this was actually a, an old cop show called Hill Street Blues. Okay. And Hill Street Blues had these ongoing subplots that would happen throughout an entire season, right? So mm-hmm. you have like three different romantic couples on the show. And one of them would be just starting to fall in love. The others, the <laughs> second one would be having problems, and the third one would be breaking up. Okay. Right? But they'd all be at different stages, and so you would sort of follow the plot lines along, right? Or like somebody we we discover would have a drug problem. Right? Mm-hmm. They're drink, they're drinking too much, right? And you'd follow that character as they progressively got worse and worse, or as they struggled to deal with their alcohol problem. And it was a sub, so there would always be like a main plot that was one was completely contained within the episode but there would be subplots that would carry on from one episode to the next mm-hmm. hill street blues got tons of 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 attention and credit for this and so then other shows started to borrow that thematic storytelling and then we got a show like babylon five mm-hmm. if you remember Babylon five mm-hmm. which was intentionally written by straczynski to always be a five season arc so it was always going to have like it had a beginning and it had an ending mm-hmm. And every season kind of had this big overarching plot line and it had a big bad guy just for that season. And, and other shows started to do this as well. And, and um, uh, Joss Whedon would do this on, on Buffy, right? He would have, uh, he would have a, 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 an entire season dominated by a single big bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it would end with a big confrontation with that villain at the end of the season and Buffy would die or somebody else would die. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next season would start with like a brand new subplot, right? Overarching plot. And and it was kind of like a season long thing, which now we can still do. But that that was still in kind of, that was the era where we were starting to like make DVDs of everything, right? And you would go and buy yeah. a big giant box set with like 12 <laughs> discs in it to yeah. be an entire season of Buffy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and what you're what you're what you're observing, and I think you're absolutely right, and this applies to gaming too, mm-hmm. as well as television and comics and films and everything else, is that the way that the product is made starts to determine the stories that the product tells, mm-hmm. which is not how we think about it. We think, well, I'm just going to tell a, I'm going to, well, okay, but how? What kind of adventure are you going to sell it as? Is it going to be a sixty? 60- page self-contained module or is it going to be a an online pdf organized play adventure that you don't have to publish physically print which Mm -hmm. means it can be as long as you want because you don't have to pay publishing printing costs or or is it going to be a three volume ap or is it a six volume ap or and 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 that means how many pages you have to fill and Mm -hmm. you've got level requirements and you know, it it a a good example of that in our games is the way that characters level up Mm -hmm. Leveling up changes the kind of stories that you tell. Okay, I'm going off into the Paizo weeds here, but the, our latest adventure path for Pathfinder is called Strength of Thousands. I've mentioned it already. It's kind mm-hmm. of a magic school AP, right? Okay. So for Harry Potter mm-hmm. fans, right? Yeah. But it's set in the Magambia Academy, which is in Africa. So it's like fantasy Africa. So it's like Harry Potter, but in Africa. Cool. And so it's, yeah, yeah. it's super cool. And 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 the Magambia is the greatest magic school in, in Galarian. And it's it was founded by Old Mage Jatembe, who's the greatest wizard in the history mm-hmm. of Galarian. And um, and your characters are growing up in in our students in this fantasy Africa. Well, that means that. You know, its values are very different than Harry Potter, for example. And we can also, like, Rowling and Potter have become stained a lot by Rowling's personal politics. And so we can improve all that. We yeah. can make stuff that's that's more accessible and friendly to our trans players and trans readers, for example. Well, anyway, so if I told you we're doing a student, a magic student, a magic school game, mm-hmm. how, how many of those six volumes, because it's a six-volume AP, Mm-hmm. Would you expect to be a student at the school for? 
How long yeah. are you a student? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. I don't know because because Harry Potter Harry Potter didn't even do that. They like Harry they, Potter. They had you're seven a student books and, seven books. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you imagine being like a twelfth level Pathfinder character <laughs> and still being a student? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do it. And so the fact that you level up, and by the third book you're like seventh level. Mm-hmm. Well, you're casting Ice Storm, okay? Yeah. Like nobody who's casting Dimension Door, Ice Storm, and Stone Skin is a student. Yeah. Those are serious spells, right? Mm-hmm. Those are cool high-level spells. So we had that because of the way the game is structured, because you gain a level consistently, mm-hmm. and 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 the first book is levels one to three, and the second book is levels four to six. You're only a student for the first two books of the six-volume AP, and then you become a teacher. Okay. So now you're a professor at the school or a teacher at the school, and you're teaching other students, and that changes the whole kind of adventure, right? So now it's now it's not like you're not playing Hermione and Ron. You're playing Dumbledore and, and the other professors at mm-hmm. the school, which is, again, a very interesting new kind of way. But we didn't do that by choice. Mm-hmm. You had to do that yeah. because of the restrictions of the way the Pathfinder is designed. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, and I I get into that. I get into like the way that that the 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 way that the game is designed, or the way that the physical product is printed and published, dictates the kinds of stories that we can tell. Mm-hmm. I I also had one more one more thought when you were yeah. when you were talking about this, uh, mm-hmm. the way the way the stories are told too. Mm-hmm. Um, players missing sessions oh <laughs> when, yeah when you have players miss sessions because you, you right. basically missed an episode of yeah. your of your story and it yep. it there's there's those challenges that come along with it you know trying to figure out where that character is for that session or do you just you just like well he's here but he's just walking <laughs> around like he's in the background but he's still yeah. here and then and then you you know catching up to it as well and then, Sorry. yeah, but the, it does. It, it the way you tell the stories. It, it it affects a lot of aspects of of how they're written and how they're played too. Yeah, what you're bringing up is these questions of like table dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, people when and and we all like missing a game mm-hmm. is very normal. Yep. It's very common. And every game has it, and every game has to figure out how they're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Often, groups will come up with one solution that they try to use all the time, mm-hmm. right? When I was running D and D, and players would not show up, I had a thing in my world called the Dungeon Flu. <laughs> it was a it was an actual disease in the world, kind of like malaria, and and it, it was found in underground catacombs. Everywhere you went, everybody would catch it, and it would lie dormant most of the time. But every once in a while, it would flare up, and you'd be out for a couple of days, puking your guts out uh, behind the tent, yeah. right? <laughs> and every adventurer basically contracted Dungeon Flu. Yep. <laughs> So then if you missed a game where your character was down with dungeon flu and they and then you you would recover and you could come back the next game. And it's it's silly and it's stupid, but it worked, yep. right? Because those Dungeons and Dragons were exploring in dungeons was very normal. Mm-hmm. And and it gave me an excuse to say, okay, well, that's why you know John wasn't here last mm-hmm. week. He, he, but but something like Strength of Thousands is very different because you're camped out at this school. Mm-hmm. Now, if you miss a game, you're not down in the dungeon. You can just be off doing some other thing at the school, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like a Star Trek episode where that character just doesn't show up that that, yeah. that episode. Like Sue's not in this one, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we didn't have we didn't have um, uh, his contract for this episode, yeah. so he's he's off doing something else. And we got a, we got uh, Ensign Leibowitz sitting in Sulu's chair instead. Yep. <laughs> uh, and and. Uh, and and then you have like you like you suggested, uh, you, players figure out well how are we going to do the recap, right? Mm-hmm. So like the how do we fill in players and the things that they missed mm-hmm. because the story that connects episode to episode is very important. Mm-hmm. Some in the old days of dungeon exploration, it wasn't that big of a deal. Like okay, we fought some orcs and um and, and a, a manticore, mm-hmm. right? And that, uh, that's all you need to know. Like yeah. oh okay, um, but now that we've gotten more into narrative and the story. We're more interested and focused on kind of that building that long, mm-hmm. plot-filled, rich narrative experience. Recaps get a lot more complicated, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, 
often um, uh, a DM will turn to a particular player and and they become the 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 always recap guy, right? Yeah. Or or get somebody to write up recaps. Mm-hmm. I love people, but but that's hard to find the time to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I I my group we uh we we've ruled it that if you turn on your environmental protection suit, you can sit in the null space bag that the group has, <laughs> and <laughs> That's and then and then you're there, and so and and then you pop back out in the next session. So. <laughs> Well, I uh, I wanted to thank you one more time for coming on, being on the show, and then I wanted to uh, let you wrap up and tell people where they can find you on the internet. Oh, for sure. Well, I'm on Twitter at Doctor Comics. Oh, it's all one word: D O C T O R C U M I C S. Um, and uh, and the Banff uh, podcast uh, is where I do most of my shows. If you uh, search for my name uh, in YouTube. Those will come up. Um, and uh, my my blog that you mentioned, I have to get time. Um, but but the the Doctor Comics blog at, at on Blogspot. Um, but honestly, Twitter is my primary social media with with players and GMs and fans and freelancers for Paizo and other and and gaming in general. And is and, the uh, Twitter the best place to get? the updates for what you're working on at Paizo. Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. And, and I, I reach out to me, you know, if you have questions of, uh, if you, um, if anyone wants, uh, if you want a specific kind of detailed explanation of how I got my gaming, uh, search for that search for Jason Tondro, how I got my job in gaming. And I wrote that essay for a, a blog called fifth world. And, uh, and I walked through the entire process and and gave a bunch of like what what tips i acquired and what you do need to have and what you don't need to have mm-hmm. uh, 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 a lot of people think you have to have contacts in the game industry to work here i i knew no one at paizo okay. nobody uh i had no i had played pathfinder precisely once <laughs> before i got a job at paizo mm-hmm. as it's not about that. It, it's about it's about other things. I you're, we've been going on a long time. I won't go too much longer. No, you're good. You're good. But um, so yeah. So so find me on at, at on Twitter at Doctor Comics and and uh, the Banff Podcast on YouTube or or Pod your favorite podcast uh, app. Perfect. And I will make sure to uh, put the links to where they can find you in the description oh, sure. as well. Um, and uh, and then that way people can they they have that convenient. You have no excuse not to check him out. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> so go down, da- go down to the description, click on those links. So, <laughs> well, this, I, this has been super fun. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a privilege. I, 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 I it's a, it's an honor to to be on your show. Thank you. Yeah. No. Thank thank you so much. I uh, I have to admit, I was a little starstruck. When you sent your when you sent your list to me, I uh, I got a little intimidated, and then I was like, okay, Spencer, you gotta you gotta rein it in, you gotta be professional here, Spencer. You're interviewing this guy in three days. Well, <laughs> so. now, now that you now that you've heard me be an absolute clown for an hour, you know that there's no reason to be intimidated. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, like 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 you said, this has been an absolute blast, and uh, and I hope the people listening, uh, you've gotten something out of this. Uh, and if you if you want to check out uh, Jason's work, make sure you do so. And uh, we will. I'll see you in the next interview. Have a nice night, everybody. Bye. Come with me, and you'll see all the junk we stash behind the curtain. There is no word I know in this world that rhymes with curtain. I'm fairly certain.